This week on the pod, a good mate, but also, and we can say this, a bit of a legend in the game of rugby league in New Zealand. It's Brian McLennan, a.k.a. Bluey. Hello, mate. Hey, Stephen. How are you? Okay, I know this is the most obvious question in the world, and I've asked you before, but I don't know if I really got the, the real answer. Why Bluey? So you want the truth? I'd love the truth if you're comfortable <laughs> telling the truth. <laughs> okay. Um, I was always known as Blue Boy, and that's because I was son of my dad, and he was Bluey, uh, the Blue Max, later on to be Blue Senior. Uh, years and years ago, um, he was raising money for our young team to go to Australia, and he ran a, a blue movie night. This is back in the days where there's projectors and films, and uh, and he got busted by the police. So they called him the Blue Max, and then I was Blue Boy, and that's how it, that's how it was, yeah. Uh, how many people know that? A lot more know that. Not many, because I've evaded it for many years, but, you know, I'll... I'll yeah, I thought I may as well come out now, and that's that's how it all happened. So, <laughs> good old senior blue left us with a bit of a legacy. Well, okay, and we got to Australia too. We got to Australia. <laughs> too. Well, that's the most important thing. Obviously, rugby league was always going to be a part of your life with Dad. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, you know, from the moment I was born, I was down at Carlow Park as a baby and as a two, three-year-old just watching it. Started playing when I was four. Uh, just wanted to be like like Dad, and he was in the famous Ponsonby side, Roger Bailey, Donny Mann. Um, so, it, it you know, I was down there just wanting watching them and just wanting to be like them. What was it about your father that inspired you to play rugby league at the start? Uh, like it was quite a big scene down at Carlaw back in those days. So, uh, you know, he was always really fast, and uh, he, you know. He, when he made the Kiwis and played in 71 uh, when they beat Australia at Carlaw Park, 24-3, I think it was. Uh, so that was massive, you know, and uh, he went on tour, England and France. And, you know, as a young kid, I, I think I'd have been around nine or ten at the, that stage. You know, that's massive. Your dad's Kiwi. And, uh, you know, so – and I just love league, you know. I – I used to sleep with a with a football, you know, like us. That's pathetic, isn't it? But that's just how I was. I just loved the game. Was it an all-consuming passion for the family seven days a week? Pretty much, yeah. And you know, especially when Dad went on to be coaching and that, and um, you know, the salt and pepper shakers would be moving around on the table, and you know, we we just just loved the game, and uh, and we were. Couldn't get enough of the Winfield Cup as it was back then, and we'd get tapes sent over and be watching those and have our own games recorded at Mount Albert, uh, you know, videotaped. And so, yeah, it was uh, it was really full on in our household. Louis, your dad was known as one of the great thinkers, and you talk about the salt and pepper shakers. Yeah. Was it from him that you learnt the ability to read a game like not many can so beautifully? Yeah, I, I learned a lot from him, and uh, and and it's all he he read a lot, and he he uh, really studied the game. Uh, you know, he went to Sydney a lot, met with the great Jack Gibson. Uh, you know, to try and learn from him. So dad dad really was pretty forward. Uh, you know, he had a lot of uh, tapes sent out from America, from you know NFL. Uh, 
yeah, he he was always studying and he worked really hard and watching the game. So and I, you know, living with him, I saw all that. And so, you know, and I just got caught up and sat there whenever I was around and just hung out with him and just watched footy. So so basically, Dad was your hero from day one. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, and I was really lucky because he's a good man and uh, you know and. Uh, you know, he's a good person to learn off, and not just footy, just and everything. How you, how you, you know, live your life. Let's talk about Brian McLennan, the footy player. Didn't realise you were a halfback because you don't look like a halfback, Bluey. No, I've got a bit bigger since then, but um, I started off uh, as a as a half when I first started topside, but then I went to five eight, and uh, you know, just just. Love my teammates, uh, you know, I love the social aspect of it too, probably a bit too much at times. Um, but, yeah, just love being in with the team and just getting together and, and, and trying to win a Fox final. Um, and for us, when when we got up to the you know, top grade, that's all it was all about. But going through the grades, Stephen, um, all my mates through the grades, I think we went to Australia about two or three times on team trips. They're all my best mates and still are, you know, and there's a and and we had a really good grade. I mean, in our grade, we used to play Manukau, it was Dean Bell and um Clayton Friend, um, played Odahu, it's Joe Rapati, um uh, who who else was there? Uh Mark Elia at Point Chev. So there's really good and out of our team, uh, Ricky Cowan and Mark Bourneville were Kiwi. So and we're all still best mates, all all of those guys, and so I love going through the grades with Van Albert and, and the other teams we played always got on great with Dean and Clayton and all the other boys from the other teams as well. How tough was it in your day? How really tough was it? It was tough. Uh, it was a real vibrant scene too. Uh, there was a lot of teams and, and uh, age groups uh, and, you know, there's a good respect for each other. Rugby league was, was really strong uh, in Auckland. I mean, I can't recall how many teams there were uh, in, in each grade, but an, an open and restricted was easily, there's easily 16 odd teams. So really, really strong. And like I say, there's a lot of Kiwis come out of all the grades, uh, you know, so good, strong Auckland football back then. Uh, who, who stood out for you? I know I'm going to talk about you actually playing one game with Stacey Jones, but before yep. that, who stood out for you as, someone you could pinpoint now sitting back as, as a coach going, yeah, he had everything. Oh, Dean, Dean Bell, you know, in our grade, I'm talking about through the age groups. Um, he, he was always going to be a great player. Uh, he was so determined. He was fast. Um, you know, he's just bred for rugby league, you know, the Bells and so many good, um, you know, players from out of the Bell family. So he was always good. And, and same with Clayton. Um, then when I got into to top grade, you know, it, it's obviously a different, so tough. Um, you know, in our team, we had a guy, Gary Proman. Gee, he's a hell of a player. Um, I think he's, he played four or five different positions for the Kiwis. You know, how versatile is that? And, um, you know, the first Fox final I ever played in, Stephen, was 82. And uh, he just absolutely slayed it. And I watched the video and all I'm doing is just chasing him around everywhere, trying to back him up. But he was too fast, so I couldn't get up with him. But, um, yeah, really lucky to, uh, you know, to, to end up with playing along some, alongside some good ones. Uh, 
The one thing we do miss, and I think from a rugby league perspective, and you, you because you play there, is Carlow Park. Yeah. What aura did Carlow Park hold for you? Oh, it was massive. You know, when you when you were getting ready inside the the uh, wooden stands and the and the change rooms, and when you went to go out, you could just feel the crowd. Um, and on a on the big days, um, you know, finals and that, you know, it was almost physical that would hit you when you come out of the tunnel. Um, it was great. Carla was a fantastic place uh, for, for rugby league. And it was, it was in a good position that the wooden stand had that atmosphere and the concrete stand where you that bask in the sun. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a good vibe there. And, um, you know, really, really lucky to have, to have played in those years and to be a spectator there, I mean, to watch – you know, through the late 60s, 70s. Um, you know, I was there when um, uh, Graham Lowe's team beat the Aussie, you know, being in, being in the stands. And, man, it was raucous that day. You know, just, yeah, Carla was fantastic. If I'm right, you actually beat a tour in Great Britain side there for Auckland. You captained the side. I mean, that in itself is an achievement. Yeah, it is. It was a really good team. We had had an excellent team. And, um the Great Britain team were really good too. Uh, they, well, they actually went on and won the Test series here. They had a three-match series and they beat the Kiwis in a three-match Test series. But yeah, we we got them. But you know, you felt a lot of pressure as a as an Auckland player back then. Um, you had to rise. You had to because the history of Auckland beating touring sides was such that you know you. You felt that on you. You felt that responsibility that you had to nail it. And um, and like I say, we had a wonderful, wonderful team. You know, Tara Nikau, um, the Tumababi brothers. Uh, uh, yeah, I could go on. Peter Brown could go on and on. And um, we had a really good side. How tough were the Poms? Oh, they were tough. It was an awesome experience playing them, actually. Um, you know, just listening to them communicate for a start and um, and the way they did things, they had short passes. They passed more from their chest um, and the way they got in behind the ruck. So I can always remember during the game just stopping and thinking to myself, going, this is really awesome, you know, <laughs> just playing against a team that just were a little bit different that had never come across before. You know, and I guess... That's the experience. That's why players that go on tour uh, with Kiwis and so forth come back better players. They just you just pick up little things, you know. So that was a great experience. When the final whistle goes and you've beaten the the, the might of, of of Great Britain, what was that aftermatch function like? Oh, always <laughs> good. Um, you're, you know, we used to have camps back in those days, and some of those Auckland camps of you know, they were a pretty hard case. Uh, and, and, like, I've never, you know, like, every time you ever go on a camp with a rep team and, and that, it's always fun. Um, you know, I've, I've never met a, a rugby league player I never that I didn't like. You know, you just, we're all of the same ilk and everyone's trying to do the trying to do the job together and uh, it's a lot of fun. So let's get to this this one game you play with Stacey Jones, a, a modern-day great in, in, in our time. How did that come about? Well, I was pretty old then, um, so I got drafted in sort of late, I think it was. Um, but I, I can actually remember uh, going to Carlo and watching, I'd go down and watch some of the junior finals, and I can remember watching Stacey in a junior final for, 
point seven going, oh, geez, he's good. And um, so, yeah, then a few years later, we end up in the same team with him. We actually end up being roommates. Um, and uh, we went to Canterbury. We weren't successful down there, but Stacey was great. And it was nice to meet him. And, um, you know, and I, I think we were probably the only two that stayed back in the room that night, the night before the game. I think most of the other boys went out. Um <laughs> Um, so that was the first time I met Stacey, but I knew of him. Um, and I, obviously when he went on to play for the Warriors, I really followed him and, and uh, always, you know, wished, wished him well and, and still do. You know, we still get on really well today. Louis, what made Stacey Jones so special as a player for his time? He was really instinctive. Um, you know, rugby league's in his blood. Uh, so he, he's really instinctive and knows where to be at the right time. He's obviously very quick, uh, you know, over the mark, and he's very strong through the hips. And last of all, he's really competitive. Like, he, he's, his desire to win uh, is what makes all that other stuff come out. Um, so, you know, you hear a lot of players say that played alongside him, like they felt better when they seen him, you know, when they knew he was in their team. So and I was lucky enough to coach him, and, uh, oh, he's a champion, you know, he's, He's, he, he'll be regarded as one of our greats of all time. Is he one of those players, and I know you're, you're big on this, that actually has a footballing brain? Because you can have a lot of a lot of players out there can catch and pass and have speed, but yeah. does he have a footballing brain? Yeah, he has. So he, he, can, he can build a game, he can run a game, uh, you know, he can, he knows what he's going to do three plays later, you know, that's the plan, that's where he's going to, but he's so instinctive that he can pick out uh, when to jump into a gap or when there's a slow forward retreating, when to play at them. Hmm. Um, yeah, he. there's a lot of stuff he does. It just comes naturally and, and, and I mean in the instinctive way. Uh, he's just learned over the years. As I said, it's in his blood. Some people have got it, some haven't. Stacey's got it, you know, he's got it in bucket loads. Bluey, were you always going to be a coach? I guess when I... Um, Started, you know, playing under dad and watching how he got ready. And then he went off to St. Helens. And, um, you know, when he went off to St. Helens, I, I sort of, I, I, I was captain Northcote that year. Um, then I went to Hibiscus the following year. And then I ended up being a player coach. And uh, so from there, it just evolved. Uh, so I think so, yes. I, I think because of dad and, and I kind of always wanted to follow him, I ended up going into player coaching and then into coaching. How much of your father was and still is in your coaching? Oh, a lot, a lot of it. Um, he was, uh, you know, he he was well ahead of his time. Um, and I said there was a lot of things that he did that, you know, especially in preparing a, a team for a season and in runs to the finals, uh, that, as I went on and ended up uh, being a professional coach, um, he he was doing that stuff in the 80s. So I was professional coaching in the uh, 2000, sort of mid-2000. Well, he was doing what I learned. So I was going to do that anyway, but then just having learned it and then watching how you do it, sports science and everything, he had it all down pat in the 80s. Now, how he figured it all out, he never ever told me. I used to constantly ask him, how the hell did you figure all that out? He'd just laugh and, and wouldn't say anything. But 
Um, just getting setting the team right and our loading, uh, how much you load us up. Then the speed work we'd do just before finals. So we'd be really um, fresh and crisp. And, um, you know, you could you could actually time your watch the games we were going to lose because he had overloaded us when, he, you know, this is about five, six weeks before finals. Wayne Bennett does it too. So, um, yeah, the old boy was smart. And so then you, you, you've had a lot of success locally uh, with the the line, the Mount Albert lines, then the Auckland lines, also the Hibiscus Coast Raiders. Uh, yeah. I think you won, what, four or five barter cards, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, four. Four barter cards. Which was, yeah. the, which was the most memorable one? Because I can tell you, I remember watching, and we were covering that at Mount Smart Stadium, and all I can remember after was this bald-headed coach <laughs> jumping up and down as if he'd just won the Winfield Cup, the you know, the NRL. Yeah, um, well, that, that particular one was 05, so that was the second one at Mount Albert. And, and um, it was a really tough game for us because we played Canterbury, and earlier on in that year, we had lost, um, a, um, lost a player called Paulo Tinnaselli, and He'd, um, we'd actually played down at Canterbury and we come back and the next, on the Monday night, he'd um, trained and, and went home and went to sleep and he never woke up. Um, so we were really, yeah, we struggled with that and um, and we got, got to the final and there's a lot of, we wanted to, we wanted to do well for Paula and his family and his, his father and brother led us onto the field and and during the game, it just felt like everything was just going wrong. I think we gave away an intercept try, and it was just really – we were battling away, as our, as our boys always do, the man our boys do, and we're battling away, battling away, and we just wait for it to turn. And I think we were down by 14-odd points with about 10 or 12 minutes to go, and then all of a sudden, it started to turn, and away we came back, and we actually scored right on the bell – on the hooter. So that's, you know, and won the game. I was so happy for uh, all the boys and Paulo's family. And um, it was so good to get that, that win. And so that's why I was jumping about a lot. Yeah, prior to that, of course, you'd already had a little bit of experience with this new team that on the block called the, the Warriors, right? I think you'd assisted uh, Ackers, didn't you, John Ackland? Yeah. For a while. I mean, yeah, I did. Did you think in that early, in those, that was in the opening year too, I think. Did you yep. think uh, there, there was your opening further down the track? or? And it was awesome because I'd been um, player coaching. So then to stop player coaching and become coaching, that was my first year of actually coaching, but as an assistant with ACCA. And it was a real good transition because when I was player coaching you, you you would coach but you'd go okay this is where we go and you'd actually go in and show it you know but then I sort of found it a little bit difficult at first and then I got the hang of it and luckily I was with Acker because he's really good at going around and and, and giving um, little bits of information to players and he can do it on the run um, so I got to learn quite a bit through there and then uh, John Money was the coach of, of the Warriors and and he was really open. You could go in and, and, and uh, watch what he was doing with, with the players and how he was getting them ready. Uh, on a Tuesday night, the three teams would, would do skills together and all the coaches would be involved. So he was really good at um, giving everybody an opportunity. And, and, and so it was a great... 
that was a great learning curve for us in those couple of years. But when it went Super League, I ended up leaving and going back to the Raiders. Oh, so you didn't actually get the big check like they all got? No, no, I got out. Got yeah. <laughs> but then, but let's talk about 05 when you have that that great win. Then suddenly yeah. you're a assistant coach of the Kiwis. Now, yeah, that must have been like close to all your Christmases coming at once. I mean, your dad played for the Kiwis. I mean, God, goodness gracious! Suddenly you're the assistant coach. Yeah, that was 04 as the assistant coach, um, and um, went with Daniel Anderson, and Daniel was fantastic. Uh, I was really surprised uh, that he picked me as assistant, actually, because about three months earlier, we had a big argument on the phone and we were swearing at each other and carrying on. And but What were you arguing about? Eh? What were you arguing oh, about? Oh, I'd written a newspaper article in the local Times up here and said that he shouldn't have been coach. You know, it was a conflict of interest. Uh, so he rang me and told me I was a, you know... Yep, so-and-so. So-and-so. Um, want to keep it as... Yeah. Not to be restricted to R18 or anything, but um, yeah, so um, that we had this argument, and but funny, then three two or three months later, he rings me, says, You want to be the assistant coach? So I nearly fell off the chair, and uh, so I went, oh, yeah, please. So that was fantastic, and got there. It was James Lulawai and myself, so James and I were rooming together, he's a real good guy, and um, you know, so it was great, and got. You know, the, the boys were all fantastic, all the Kiwi boys, and they're great on tour. But on that tour, I had to come home early because that's when Julie had the brain tumour. And um, so went from feeling like the, you know, the luckiest guy in the world to like, oh, my God, we're in trouble here. And we were for a while, but we, we bounced out of it and we're still cracking along today. So Yeah, and, and then the big job comes along. Yeah. The big one. Yeah. Named Kiwi coach. Can you remember the call? Who called you? I mean, did you apply for it or just get it out of the blue, so to speak? No, no, I applied for it and, and went to interviews. Um, so, yeah, went to interviews because what was everything just fell into place. Um, because I carried on, co- I was going to give up, uh, because of Julie's, um, you yeah. know, because she had to learn to walk and talk again, and um, but um. Both sets of parents said, carry on, you know, we will help look after the kids because kids were, Regan was four and Dan and Katie, my twins, were two. So uh, it was tough and I was running my own business. So so I carried on and then we had interviews for the uh, coach of the Kiwis because I think Gary Freeman had been coached and then they put in a rule that it had to be a New Zealand-based um, coach. I think in some ways it might have been because he was living in Australia to make it easier to, to move him on, I think. And um, so ended up, it had to be a Kiwi and so I was in the right place at the right time. And, um, and and so proud moment. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like dad, you know, dad was really wrapped. And, you know, any time my dad was wrapped, my mum and dad, or oh, you know, that really helped. Was there a piece of advice that your father gave to you before your your first sort of day on the job, um, most mostly his stuff was just about being yourself. You know, like he'd always say, you know, footballers can smell a liar. You know, like yeah, yeah, you, you just you just gotta um, be really prepared and, and and have have everything right. It was really good because when we went to Aussie for our first test, uh, Dad came over. 
Um, and when we went to England, he was over in England while we were over there too. We didn't, he, he never come and hung out at the uh, hotel or anything. He'd, he'd pop by after games and say hello to the boys and that, and the boys were always great with him. But we were in England, he, he was, he was, because uh, he coached St. Helens, they would just embrace him, give him a car and look after him and everything anyway. So he was gallivanting around St. Helens a lot, I think. But, but he was fantastic to have there. He, he'd give me some warnings, you know, every now and again. He'd go, oh, watch, watch out for this or watch out for that. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you just sort of take for granted because you're the son and, you you know, I think most sons, you know, until they, until they don't have their dad anymore, they then they realise, man, geez, he's, he was watching out for me all the time. Well, we have to talk about 2005 because that was uh, the Tri-Nations, the first of the Tri-Nations, and out of the blue, so to speak, again, uh, or maybe it was a good executed plan, the Kiwis beat Australia. We'll talk about that game in a moment. But the drama leading up to it, Stacey having a baby, talk me through that and how that unfolded. Well... Stacey's wife having a baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... So, uh, like, we always we always knew that was going to happen, but Rochelle having a baby around that time. But Stacey was pretty much playing on a, uh, okay, I'll just play an Aussie and I'll play at home, you know. Um, and because we played him in Sydney and we beat him and then we played him at home and we only just lost. Um, and so he was just doing it on a game-by-game -game basis. So we were just saying, okay, well, whenever we got you, we're wrapped, you know. Um, but of course, when he is in that environment, I think Stacey saw himself that, hey, things are running really well here. Uh, we had a really good environment. Everybody uh, was really connected really well um, and, and how we were trying to play uh, as well. So he went, okay, well, I'll come to England. So he was just taking it game by game. And then and um, and then when he come back, we, we, you know, he says, hey, it's okay. You know, you get back with Rochelle and they had young William and um, and he was he was up for coming back. So we, keep, we thought well, we might as well keep it quiet, um, you know, and just pull it out of the hat. And uh, now how, how he did it, I do not know. You know, we always knew it was going to be tough, but the moment, like, Stacey came in for our last training, I think it might have been the Friday. Yeah, it was a Saturday test. Yeah, so he came in on the Friday for the uh, captain's run. And uh, the moment he walked in, the you know, the boys just lifted. You know, to know that the little general was going to be there, it just makes everybody else better. And... Um, you know, I always remember at half time, um, he came up to me and he went, Bluey, I'm... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm stuck. And I, I didn't know what to say. I just pat him on the back and just went, you'll be all right, mate. You'll be all right and, and, and carried on. But he, he did. And uh, how he did it, I don't know. Like to fly all the way home, then come back. Uh, but it was a fantastic, you know, it's folklore, really. Uh it really is, and I still to this day don't know how he did it, but I deep down in my heart and in my mind, I knew he would. You know, I knew he was the key. He was the jewel in our crown. Now, 
that's not taking anything away because Ruben Wiki that night was outstanding. Uh, Nige Vangana, uh, David Kidwell, uh, Manu. Oh, like, we had a really, really good side. And I kid you not, going into that final, every person in our squad, that's our whole squad, not just the boys that took the field, management, we were all extremely confident that we would win that night. But were you confident you'd keep them scoreless? Uh, no, we never, no, I was never thought, we just, we just wanted to win. And even, I didn't care what the score was. We just, you know, we just wanted to win. And we felt like we would win. Um, but you, never in your wildest dreams do you think what, a, what sort of score line it would be. But as, as the game went on, um, we just kept accumulating possession and we accumulated possession through the pressure that we were putting on. And, uh, and it got to that point where, you know, I knew that it was going to be a struggle for them because they'd, they'd had so lack of possession that they'd fatigued. And in those conditions, it's cold, it's a bit slipperier, it's, it's harder to get yourself out of it. So as the game went on, like 20 minutes to go, I, I, I knew we had it. I knew we had them done and dusted, and uh, I, I thought then, well, it's going to be pretty hard for them to get back. And plus, the boys were on. You know, they were. You know, every player in the team, uh, you know, were they were on. Um, they got it. You know, they call it getting in the zone. Um, and I think we had a few players getting in the zone because time slowed down for them. You know, they're going as hard as you can, but it just slowed down. Everything became easier. So. Is there is there one moment in that game, apart from the the monumental effort of Stacey being in that side, is there one moment in that game, early, late, near the end, you went, yeah, th this is what it's about. This is what it's like to feel coaching a team that's in total control. Um. No, I, like, I felt pretty confident all the way. To be honest, I felt that way before because I've had other teams win finals like, and, and I've played in a lot. So um, I'm not being a big head, but <laughs> I just – I've felt it a lot before. You yeah. know, I know what it's like to win finals and, and, and how to get how to get there. So, And I, I, I'll say this, like, that's the crowning uh, moment um, is, is – been in with the Kiwis winning, but I tell you, you you know, for all those coaches out there, you can coach an under sixteen team to win a final, and it's the same feeling. You know, I know it's because you're you're connecting with a group of people, and you're saying, right, this is what we're going to do. This is how we do it. Let's all go together. That feeling's still the same. So, um, so yeah, I, I just felt confident. For, the Q. And, and of course, when we did, and that it all come down, and seeing, seeing all the boys so happy, like Ruben and Stace, that been so close to other times with you know good Kiwi teams, but not quite got there. Um, but um, it was so good for for uh, the, the, the older boys, and and of course the younger ones, which was you know Manu. That was Manu's first tour, and uh, and he went on. He's one of the great wingers. Yeah. Well, did you know he was going to be a great Manu? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, the sheer physicality, the size, the speed, um, and he's a very, very determined um, guy. You know, like Manu makes his mind up. Um, 
look out. <laughs> you know, he's hard to stop. And he, he was great on tour. He ended up becoming the, uh, what do they call it, the, the young player. Of, of, yeah, the rookie, the rookie of the tour. Rookie of the year, yeah, yeah. for the whole world. I mean, geez. Well, you, you, you became, you what, became, well, 2007 uh, – eventually an international coach of the year. I mean, that I, I get the impression that that game alone, that, that whole tour, was why Leeds eventually came to you and said, we want you to be our head coach for Super League. Yeah, I, I, I guess they looked at that and was that, that was um, right, right on their de- doorstep. Uh, on another Kiwi Ricky tour I was on, I went to Leeds and watched, you know, watched the game there at, at Headingley for the first time, and that was a mean experience. So when um, Gary Hetherington spoke to me um, about going there, I was I was really keen. I loved that atmosphere. I loved the history of the game, and they're the found, you know, one of the foundation clubs. So um, yeah, so I, I guess so. We had an affinity with Leeds, had good luck in Leeds um, at Allen Road. Um, so. Yeah, that all that all worked out really good. Did you feel like you were following Dad's path a little bit? Yeah, I did, and and in a lot of ways I have, and I've tried to, um, I oh. guess you know, like I've tried to be like him, and um, so yeah, he went and he did a real good job at St Helens, and I still you know met up with a few of the ex players, um, you know, uh, Phil Beavers, Alan Hunt. And, you know, and they were just saying, gee, he was light years ahead of, of, you know, he was light years ahead and they really enjoyed being coached by him because they were still amateur and they played really well. So, yeah, I have been going to Leeds and just had a great time there. Well, great time. You had instant success straight up. You, you, you won the World Cup Club Challenge, going to the one Super League title two years in a row. I mean, what was it about the team that you had that gave you the success? They were a great team. Uh, you know, I'm really uh, fortunate, you know, to to be able to call guys like Kevin Sinfield, you know, Jamie Peacock. Um, was you know, Jamie Peacock is Jamie Peacock mad, or is he absolutely just one of the toughest nuts on a field? He is so tough, um, and he's a great guy, like one of the great guys, and tough, competitive, smart. Um, yeah, real, real great man. And, um, you know, him, him and Kevin Sinfield are just outstanding leaders, you know. So I was, I was lucky there in that the, the leadership group are so strong. And they'd won the premiership um, in 07 before I got there. And they were sort of a little bit all over the place during the season. And then when Tony Smith was announced he was leaving, this went on a run. And um and they, you know, they just went on this run, and then I remember watching. I was really happy for them, but of course, you know, got there, it was like, right, how did we do this? You know, and uh, they had a good leadership group that was able to know. Okay, these are some of the things that was good, and and we just carried on from there. And um, it was a big year. It was a big year that and playing Melbourne was tough in that World Club Challenge because Melbourne's just try and strangle you so and we got them and that I think there was something like 800 odd tackles in that game it was like a record so and that was physical so and then in the uh we played St Helens in the in the grand final we timed it right and got the job you know we we did really well 
What did Dad say about uh, you, you beating his old team? Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's proof that blood is sicker than water, isn't it? You know, like, he loves St. Helens, and, you know, it's pretty well known that, you know, the last days of his life, he wouldn't, he always wanted a St. Helens um, blazer on and his, his tracky jacket, and we, uh, you know, yeah, he finished his days with us. He loved St. Helens. But he got in and supported Leeds and, you know, and he was right there and he was drinking a few Guinnesses with me, you know, that night. Uh, you, uh, you, we talk about bright players, but you've got to relate to folks the story about Ryan Hall, how smart he is, because he's not having the greatest season with the Roosters. He was a very strong player, is a strong yeah. player, but doesn't really seem to be set, set for NRL. But anyway... Tell me how smart he is. Because I remember you telling this story one day, and I want you to tell others about the story because it's only a short one, I know. Yeah. Oh, he's he's like a mathematical genius. And, uh, you know, he adds sums like that, like do the Rubik Cube. And, yeah, he can do that in like, well, I don't know, 20 seconds or whatever. And he just, yeah, he just figures things out really, really quickly. Um, but, yeah, for, for Ryan, I mean, he, he's gone to the Roosters, who are just humming, aren't they? You know, it's a hard team to make. Um, yeah. And he's probably a, might, you know, looked a bit too big um, for, for wing, but he's a great player. Um, and he was fantastic for Leeds and, and, and won a lot, and for Great Britain, and put a cross kick to him, and he'll outjump most people. He's a lot like Manu because of the sheer size of him. When he gets up and catches, you know, he wins the collision, so he'll come down. So, But, yeah, an absolute uh, genius um, with, with maths and all that. But, um, yeah, he's a good kid. Was it your choice to come home from Leeds? Yeah, yeah. We um, had come to the right, you know, right time. And uh, the kids the the kids were ready uh, for um, high school and so forth. So, you know, um, how old would Regan have been then? Well, he started college at Orira in the second year, so we come back and I end up. I had a job lined up with Auckland Rugby League, and and that you know, and that that's suited suited me. I stayed in the game. And um, do you think you, know, you could have gone? Could you have gone another couple of years though, if you'd been pushed? Um, I'd, I mean, I'd you, you took with that passion. I burnt myself out a bit. Like I'm not a, you know, like I don't think I'm a long career coach. Because because I'd come out of amateur, because I'm probably the last coach to do this, is to be an amateur and then go straight into professional. Um, so I didn't have that background of being in the NRL or the Super League. You know, I was a Tuesday, Thursday night coach at the local club. Um, so to go to, to the Kiwis and then go professional, man, I was exhausted. Um it's it's hard, um, you know, day in day out when you haven't had that grounding. Um, so, you know, I, I had to learn a lot of things on the run. Um, so, so in saying in, in saying that, Bluey, let's cut to the chase. Yeah. Admitting that, do you think that was your weakness when you got the Warriors job and only lasted yeah. a second? Yeah, to a degree. Um, uh, it's that management part of it, you know, like. Um, you know, like the management part, because this, this, it's not just your your nuts and bolts coaching. There's a whole lot of other things that you've got to, you know, run your eye across, from, um, you know, just re recruitment to, 
media, uh, the sponsorships, um, the directors, just the, there's so much more to it. Um, so you to, to do that well, you need to be micromanaging a whole lot of things and, and, and all the coaches and so forth. So, you know, me just coming from an amateur background where I'm just at the local club and then, you know, Kiwis, it was a shorter tour, so it was easier to manage. And I had good people around me, you know. Geez, I had the mad butcher as, as the manager, you know. And Natty Norton, um, assistant coach, who's a brilliant coach. Um, you know, I had a sports um, psychiatrist, Craig Lewis, who was fantastic. I had a lot of good people, but it was just for six to eight weeks, you know. Um, so when you go in that professional, professional environment where it's day in, day out, um, it's tough, you know, and over in Leeds, I was, uh, you know, I, I was lucky I had um, good as, assistant coaches and a real strong leadership group. You know, the the, the, the lead players, you know, Kevin Sinfields and, like I said, Jamie Peacock's fantastic. So, you know, I was able to sort of manage my way through, but it was exhausting. How fast was the NRL compared to Super League and, and did you struggle to adjust? Um... It wasn't too much quicker in those days, in, in, in 12. Uh, so what's that? You know, eight, eight or eight. It wasn't too much quicker. It's got way quicker now. Um, you know, I think the, the gap between Super League and NRL has been widening. Um, but back, back then, I mean, we were, you know, we could hold our hands up against, when I had leads, we could hold our heads up against the NRL sides. But it's got further apart so but it's the intensity week in week out is way way bigger um you know you 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 don't have any soft games where you can um you know perhaps put more load into your team getting them ready for the next games like each games in the nrl <laughs> if you drop your guard a team at the bottom of the ladder can beat you and that does not happen really in the super league so it's just that uh, constant. I liken it to being like at Piha and a wave comes and you duck it and you come up and then there's another one and you duck it and you come up and there's a bigger one. It's like that and it's just unrelenting and it's tough, um, especially with the Warriors. It's a challenge with the travel as well. Um, you know, the Warriors, that that is a challenge that they have that you accept. You have to accept it and, and go, but it has to be managed really well and I think... Um, you know, I, I, I think that's a challenge for whoever's coaching them uh, as well. Do you regret taking the job at the Warriors? Was that sort of the, a low point in your coaching career to be not have the choice to stay on? It's a, it is a low point. I mean, I, was, I, I got it, still am. You know, I, I just would love to have got it right and the timing was right. Um, I, needed, I needed really more education. Um, I think, um, in the management part. Um, I, you know, I think the, my footy analysis is okay. Yeah, it was, was good enough. Like, I know, I know how to uh, win games. And, I, yeah, I just wasn't the right fit at that time. Um, and that's life, you know. Like, hell, I got, I got the rub of the green to get the Kiwis and have them while Stacey Jones and Ruben Wickey and Nigel Vanganar were there, you know, like three guys that I, I admire still to this day. Um, 
So I was lucky that I had that leadership group, along with David Kidwell, Paul Rahi, all those boys. So I got the rubber of the green then, so I can't complain. I, my timing wasn't right uh, with the Warriors. I wasn't. It ended up I wasn't the right fit. Doesn't make any less of a coach. Just means that just what you weren't the right fit. You, you said earlier that you love history, and we can't uh, have this interview without talking about the Exiles. Yeah, uh, that Exiles uh, match, which was an amazing. Uh, game. Well, talk to me about that Exiles experience. Gee, it was fun. Um, we were based in Leeds and, uh, you know, some of the Aussie players. Well, I knew Danny Badiris because I coached him at Leeds and he's a champion player, champion guy. Got to meet Craig Fitzgibbons, who's uh, a, one of the coaches on the rise. Yeah. You know, like he's and I can see why. Uh, just spending a week with him chatting about footy the guy is just bred to be a, a rugby league coach he was a fantastic player uh and and had a lot of success but he is going to go on to be a great coach um just wired for it born to do it you know um like so you. i can see why everyone's excited you know and it's because he's in that system with the roosters uh but any, you could ask any player that's played alongside him, um, and I just was with him one week, and I'm going, oh, my God, this guy's good. Um, so fantastic guy as well. So I knew all the Kiwi boys, uh, and we got together really well, and it was that Anzac spirit, uh, and, and we really hummed together. And uh, it's funny because when you, when you go on Tiki Tour overseas and that, when you meet up with an Aussie, it's like you, you you know them, eh? You know, it's like yeah, let's go and have a beer, and you just get on so great. So <laughs> Kiwis and Aussies just congregate together, you know, and uh, all the best bars are where the Kiwis and Aussies are hanging out. So and it was like that. So we just went boom together. Went right, oh here we go, you know, bit of Anzac uh, spirit, and it was a great concept, and it went really well. Louis, the one thing we were aware of, because I know Sky Sport had to make a number of uh, show reels for your team, was. Your coaching philosophy at Kaizen. Yeah, continual improvement. Uh, that's Japanese for that. And uh, so we, we're just trying to be better and better at each training and each game. And, um, you know, one of the things we did was, you know, because Kiwis are pretty humble. So we we tried to do, like, analogies of, of and themes of great things that have happened. So, like, uh, Michael Johnson winning the, the 200 metres and in Sydney in, in 2000 in the Olympics. So things like that, that was Slay the Dragon. We, we showed that and that was Slay the Dragon. That was for the final. Um, Bully the Bully was a famous one from, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali beating George Foreman. So, yeah, well, so we, we and, and behind it all was, was strategies as well uh, as to how we'd play. So Australia had bullied us for years and decades. So we wanted to bully them. We hadn't beaten Australia in Sydney for 52 years. So to go there and be the dominant team and we, we uh, played, we actually had a call where we'd get three guys in a tackle and purposely hold them up and run them back a bit. And that was called bully. So bully, bully. And you'd, You've seen if a, a, a player was doing a hit-up and didn't have a tip-on option, your halves would, and that would yell out, bully, bully, and identify. This is the chance to, to do that. So we had these themes all going and for each test, and we'd have theme nights where we'd show it with an attributed video. Um, 
of, of a sporting great and then some strategies around why yeah. that worked. It was fantastic. Uh, we, had a, we had a great time, yeah. When you look back on your career as a coach, if we t- take the Warriors out of it, because you know you would have loved another chance that. What has been the high point? What's been the most satisfying moment of your coaching career? Wow, that is so tough. Um, look, representing your country is the pinnacle. Um, and to be able to walk around Allen Road with my arm around the butcher and, and Stace and, 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 you know, and hug Roos and Ali and all that, that was, you know, the, and, and that was history. Because, uh, you know, that, that, that tour was good. I've got to say the 06 tour is, was I was equally as proud of that, Stephen. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know. Like we, we were had to go to extra time against Australia. We only had one sub. You know, we'd lost three players during that game, and no one comments that. But our guys with one sub there, they fought for about 20, 30 minutes, you know, trying to win that game. We just missed some drop goals. They go over, we win. Uh, so that was a great team, a great team, and a great way for Stacey, Rubes, and Nice to bow out. But I was just as proud of that team as the 05, you know, when we when we got we got the points. Um, but being with Leeds and, 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 and just going to the finals, it's so massive going to um, going to Old Trafford, you know, 70 odd thou, the passion of the supporters. The fact that you've been together since preseason all year, every day, uh, to win the final, that, that's right up there too. And all the other finals that have been in with all my mates, in the end, it's more about the friends you make um, than the titles. You know, and I, you know, I, I can say, I, you know, I'm lucky. I'm a lucky man, mate. You know, I've got so many friends in the game. Um, you know, and I've got to be mates with you. I mean, we through through Sky Sport, and I know your passion for the game. You know, like it's just it's fun being with people that are passionate about what they do, and that's what I've loved the most: being with passionate people. You know, Bluey, they say good things happen to good people, and I think your dad will be looking down from heaven and looking at you with a, a, a wry smile on his face, saying, "You know what, Bluey, you did all right." Yeah, I, I reckon he will, mate. And, uh, yeah, I love him and I miss him. Thanks, buddy. appreciate the time. Thank you, mate. Thank you.